Shannon Waller here, and welcome to the Team Success Podcast. Now, today I am very excited because I am interviewing someone that I really consider to be an expert, particularly with regard to hiring. And this is Colin Sprague. So, Colin, thank you so much for joining me today. I was excited hearing you talk about your process in the workshop, and then you and I spent some time on the phone and by video talking through your whole process. And I was so impressed with the depth of what it is that you do and how you bring people on board. But before we jump into that, because as a lot of people know, I've written the Team Success Handbook, and then I wrote Multiplication by Subtraction, which is really all about how to gracefully exit wrong fit team members. But then the immediate question is, well, how do you attract and get on board right fit team members? And you're someone I think that's just put a lot of thought and a lot of time and attention and I'm sure trial and error. I'm looking forward to hearing some of the stories about how to do that. But before we jump into your process, which I appreciate you sharing with us, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and your audience is also entrepreneurs. So I want everyone to know who you are and what you do. Yeah, Shannon, it's my pleasure to be on the show with you today. And to all the listeners out there, you know, I'm not, I don't profess to be better than anyone else or greater than anyone else. I just, over the years, have built an amazing company serving entrepreneurs. You know, the big thing for me, Shannon, is, you know, I didn't come from a, a really wealthy background. I didn't come from a very supportive background. In, in many ways, I came from a really sad background. And, you know, I went through some really crazy, super negative times in high school. In fact, at the age of 14, I attempted suicide twice. Wow. Yeah. And it was a really bad time for me. And then I met a gentleman by the name of John Kehoe in South Africa, a super nice guy, become a very good friend. He lives down the road from me now. John really got me back on track at the age of 14. And I never knew I'd be on the path to where I am today, really helping people get through their stuff. Because I think when it comes to being a really successful business owner, is that it comes down to forget about how much sales, you know, marketing, all that kind of stuff. It comes down to who you are as a human being and where your mindset's at and what are you attracting into your life. And there are so many entrepreneurs who are wanting to learn more strategies. I'm like, go work on who you are as a human being. Don't look out of you, look into you because that's where most of your challenges are right now. And I, I developed a whole company system process around that to serve people and watch people be more successful. I mean, we are such a dovetail with strategic coach in the sense of we, we look after the smaller guys, <laughs> the real small ones compared to a strategic coach. But you know what? What a pleasure. My number one reason why I get out of bed every single morning is because I love to come to work and get cards and gratitude cards from students that have said to us, Thank you so much for what you've done for me, my family, my life, for everything. Because the biggest part for me is we don't just help business owners, we help their families, we help everything. Because when you work on mindset, it's not just the mindset of your business. You cannot be one thing at work and somewhere else at home. You know, for me, it's in the same place in both places. So it just drives me. My bounce in my step is driven by people being more successful and watching people get to that next level, which I think there's nothing more invigorating in the world. I love it. And I appreciate that you kind of rebuilt yourself. You changed your whole mindset. So you have a lot of compassion for where people start from. And you also see what's possible for them that they may not see yet for themselves. So you're the John Quixote to other people, which is Absolutely. which is pretty powerful. And I love that you've taken it and you've expanded it quite dramatically. So what's the name of your company and how big is it and where are you based and all just so people get an oriented to you. Yeah, and thank you for keeping me on track there. So <laughs> <laughs> No worries. That's so, my job. Yeah. Yeah, our company is Make Your Mark Training and Consulting. We're based out of Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, here in Canada. And you know, we have offices in Calgary and in Toronto as well, expanded out into the States. And we, we had some serious learning as we went into the States as well. <laughs> 
I think you could have five episodes on your podcast just for just for that by itself. Going to another country, yes. You know, I have around 60,000 students across Canada now and growing at around 1,000 students a month, which is pretty crazy. And, you know, just really serving the small business owner that's been in business for a year or longer, that's typically doing less than a million dollars in revenue and just wants to get to that next level. Yeah, we've grown. I mean, our signature to what we do is I believe you can grow a successful family and a successful business simultaneously Mm. and not focus only on one. So we actually teach our students how to do a business plan and a life plan so that you don't just get focused only on your business. And we combine those two together and we call it the freedom plan. Mm. Yeah, what is the freedom you really want? You want your life on track as well as what you want your business on track. And that's one of our biggest claims to fame in everything we do. And then, of course, our accountability groups that we have, that we hold people accountable every two weeks or every month, depending on the level of the business owner, to making sure they take action. Because I think most business owners and all those listeners out there probably agree, most business owners need a boss. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You need someone to hold you accountable. And part of the reason why we're business owners is so that we don't have other people telling us what to do, but we still need people to hold us accountable. And it's actually interesting because, you know, I'm a huge fan of group coaching, which is what Strategic Coach is as well. And I call it positive peer pressure. Because if you said you're going to do something and you come back and you haven't done it and someone asks you, it's like, I've done things specifically because I know someone's going to ask me about my next workshop. And you set that up as a part of your coaching process that they have someone to hold them accountable. So that's a very powerful process. We don't want a boss boss, but we do definitely need to be held accountable. So, Well, maybe just a size 14 shoe in a place that it's not meant to go and fits inappropriately. (laughs) (laughs) I love that little kick in the rear end. Perfect. And just to talk a moment about your own company, it's an incredible growth rate that you're experiencing. You know, you've structured it that way on purpose. But how many people on your team and how big is your company? Because you're national, if not more. So how do you make that work? Because as we get into the hiring process, I'm sure that's how it's going to relate. Yeah, absolutely, Shannon. So we, we, we're a small complement full-time wise. We're around 20 people full-time mm-hmm. and around, I suppose, with all our contractors now across the country, around 80. Mm-hmm. It's great to know that because contractors, you need them to be incredibly talented and skilled at what they do. At the same time, they're not always with you full-time. So how do you manage that relationship? And of course, you're 20 full-time people as well. So just for fun, and I didn't ask you to prepare the answer to this question, but how many people do you think you've hired over the course of your lifetime or your business career? Wow. Now, that's a really interesting question. I'd probably say... Yeah, probably in at least three to four hundred. Right. Okay, good. And so you've learned a lot about what works and what doesn't work. Is that right? Yeah, I've learned a lot. And guess what? I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it involves human beings. So yeah, I don't think you ever stop learning when, <laughs> when you have the H factor. <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm going to use that again. H factor, the human factor. All the right. human factor, yeah. And out of those, I mean, obviously, that's probably in some different enterprises as well, but there's 20 full-time and 80 contractors. So there's 100 currently that you're keeping, and I'm sure some you probably have some other folks involved in that process too. But I'd love to find out because, you know, in terms of teamwork and having a really great company and one that can handle the growth level, you're looking for a very particular type of individual. And I think for any entrepreneurial organization, finding the right fit team members, and by the way, everyone will have their own definition of right fit. So Colin, as you're talking, you're going to have your own version, strategic coach, we have our own version, and actually knowing what you want, because that's a big problem. People don't actually know what they're actually looking for half the time. And then having a process where you can filter in the right people, filter out the wrong people, is not something that I think a lot of businesses 
feel very confident about or adept at. You know, I was actually coaching a client from the UK this morning exactly on, you know, whether or not this person would be a right fit. And we had all the profiles in front of us. It's not an easy thing to do. And the people component of our businesses is so critical. It is our company. Absolutely. So I appreciate because when we talked to your process, I was like, wow, you do this and this and this and this and this. So let's dive into what your process is, how long it takes, and just some of the nitty gritty. I find that often people say, yes, we have a great hiring process and you don't actually know what it is. So I love that you're willing to share that with us today. You're welcome. So how does your hiring process start? How do you identify even who you're looking for? Let's start there. Yeah, so that's a great way to start is the way we look at it, Shannon, is that, you know, we look for who we need in whatever role we need in the company. The one thing I've learned over time is stop attempting to have, you know, too many people in one role. In other words, too many personalities in one role. If you're looking for admin person, hire an admin person. If you're looking for a salesperson, hire a salesperson. Don't expect them to do admin. That's one of my biggest learnings over the last probably 30 years is that, you know, we always go, I want a person that can do admin. I want a person that can do sales. I want a person that can do client care. Maybe I can roll them all into one. If you can find those kind of people, let me know, you know, so that each person has their own personality. So that's one of the key things. And then we say, okay, what role are we looking for? Uh-huh admin, sales, marketing, controller, whatever it might be. And then we draw up a really detailed job description. And a big part of our job description is actually are our core values. And our core values are a big part of what goes out actually in our postings. But before we even get near a posting, we say, here's our job description. And then we say, okay, fine. We have a number of different profiles. Like I know at Strategic Coach, you use uh, Mm -hmm. the Colby test. Of course, we have our own three that we look at. People will know the one very well, which is the DISC profile. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of people use DISC. So we say, what DISC profile do we need for that role? This is all prior to even posting the ad. So we say, what DISC profile do we need? Then we say, what sacred gifts do we need? Now, of course, people are probably wondering what sacred gifts are. And we can talk a little bit about that if you want to go into that. The third one is a destiny. What kind of destiny profile do we need? Destiny profile more really tells us, is the person the right fit destiny-wise for Make Your Mark? You cannot determine what their destiny is going to be and put it on a job posting. So we have the disc and we have the sacred gifts of what we need. And then we also look at what are the three key projects we want that new role to be doing when they join us? Uh-huh. So in the next 12 months, these are the most critical three projects we want them to be doing. Now we say, okay, now we've decided what the profiles are that we need, what three projects are going to need to do when they come on board and have they done them. And then we post the ad. Mm. And then we post the ad. I'm a big fan of the military analogy. We spend a lot of time planning before we run onto the field. And you know, most people run onto the battlefield, get blown to pieces and run off with their their shirt tattered and holes in their body and what have you. We like to rather plan and then run onto the battlefield <laughs> and have a good chance of succeeding. I love it. And sometimes we learn how to plan because we haven't done it and we end up with you know, holes in ourselves or holes in our exactly. team, which is what happens. The couple things that you talked about that I want to draw out a little bit more. I really appreciate your comment about core values. We've talked about the importance of culture and how that matters and knowing what's important to you, which is really core values. And one of the things I've heard about core values, which I thought just made so much sense, Core values is a delegation because it teaches your team, it coaches your team on what to do when you're not there, which I thought was just a great way to articulate the value of a core value. And you've got some great ones. Do you mind sharing with us what they are? Yeah, with pleasure. So we have, oh, we have six of them. Mm-hmm. So we have community of trust, unconditional right. gratitude. Okay, I'm going to repeat these because I think they're really powerful. So community of trust, and that means that you really have to be able to count on one another. Is that right? 
Yeah, count on one other, but we're building a community internal as well as external. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about a community out in the marketplace, but also a community within Make Your Mark, which is okay. really for me. Great. And then unconditional gratitude and not just gratitude. People, what about unconditional gratitude? When you see someone doing something else for somebody and it doesn't involve you, most people, gratitude's conditional. Mm. You know, your vendors at the end of the year have supplied you great stuff. So great. You take them out for lunch and say, thank you for being a great, or they take you out and say, thanks for being a great client. Most gratitude's conditional. And I don't mm. agree with that. I agree with it to a certain extent, but I think that it's so nice if I see a waitress in a restaurant serving a table and it's a real tough situation and I'll see how she handles it. I'll come back to the office and phone the restaurant, get her name and details, and I'll send a card to the restaurant to say, thank you for the way you handle that table. There's no benefit to me, what have you, just a benefit to her in terms of being unconditional gratitude for the way she handled the situation. So I, I, I empower our team to do that. We have respect the individual is another one. Mm. Tell me about that one. We have a very set way of looking at them. So respect the individual is really respecting people for who they are and the property that they own. Okay. When you talk about property, in what context do you mean that? So respecting their property. So the, the environment that they work in if we're at the office, respecting the property of the company. So like we have a lot of audio equipment and what have you for all our events, respecting that as if it's their own, which is right. really important. And not just mm-hmm. uh, if we drop something out, it doesn't matter. It's, it's just that it belongs to the company. Right. Oh, I love that mindset. Fantastic. Great. What's the next one? Open to possibilities. Mm, Okay. Tell me about that. Open to possibilities for me is just really looking at, yes, you can have your policies and procedures and be as rigid as you want to be, but you know what? You have to also be open to what people's situations are. We have clients going through cancer. We have clients going through different difficult situations. So it's not saying when they phone in and say, well, I need to put my program on hold for four or five months. You're like, well, that doesn't work. We can't do that for you. That's really what can we do for you? So what are the possibilities within the situation they're in? Mm. So we're always, we're always open to that. Of course, within the boundaries of how we work as a company. For sure. Which is really important. And then the next one's integrity. Mm. And we have our own definition of integrity here in the office, which if you ask any of our team, would give you the same definition. It's doing the right thing at the right time all the time. Okay. So doing the right thing. I'm writing this down. At the right time. All the time. I love that. I also really love the fact that you've actually defined it. I mean, I was about to say before you gave the definition, it's like, oh, well, I think I know what that means. I know what it means for me, but everyone sort of has their own different take on it. And you've made it very explicit and very clear. Very and much it, so. it means that it's measurable, it's trackable, it's talkaboutable, if that's a word. So that's very, that's very clear. I like that. All right. So what's the last one? Commitment to excellence. Mm-hmm. And we don't say commitment to perfection because I don't think there's ever, ever such a thing as perfection. So commitment to excellence for us is everybody in this company has a right to stop something that is not considered excellent mm-hmm. oh. in terms of quality or what have you. So if one of our team members sees a package going out to a client and there's a dog-eared corner or something on a page or the label on their binder isn't straight, they can actually call that and say, this package cannot go out. Ooh, I love it. As someone who's kind of mad about quality control, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) My team knows me very well. I'm all about quality. My favorite statement to our team is anybody can put a wedding on and throw people in a hall and put food on a table and play some music. It's the attention to detail that makes that wedding special. Mm -hmm. We, We look at every little piece of detail and the clients notice the detail and they notice the detail when it's not there. That's the thing. And you create the expectation. So if it's not met, all of a sudden it's like, well, what's wrong? Who's not paying attention? Absolutely. So yes, it has a lot to do with your front stage. As I look at all six of these, there's an incredible sense of graciousness 
about it. You know, respect for the individual, open to possibility, integrity, doing the right thing, commitment to quality and excellence. There's just a care that is underlying all of these six core values. So when you're hiring people, you need people to bring in, not that you can coach or teach these values, but in fact, already have them or a version of them, and they're willing to live this way with you. Is that right? Absolutely. Our first interview we do is around core values. We don't even discuss the role. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What's people's take on that when they come in to meet with you? So I'll step one big step back. And our first interview is a group interview. We don't do individual interviews. Mm-hmm. Our first interview is a group. And I, I don't care if I'm hiring a CFO, a COO, or an administrative person. It doesn't matter. Everyone goes through a group interview. Typically, maybe between, I'd say between four to six people in a group. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the people being interviewed. So the candidates come in, typically four to six candidates, and we'll have two people from the office in the interview. Mm-hmm. And during that interview, all we're looking for is who they are as human beings, what are their core values, what have you. It's about a 90-minute interview, and most of them are stunned by the time they leave. In fact, some of them become good friends when they leave the interview, even if they never get hired by us, because they're so enamored by the process. <laughs> Do you ask them certain questions to get at what their core values are? Yeah, we have 21 key questions that we go through. And the 21 questions, and we randomly bounce around with who starts during that process. So we'll have key questions like, and it's very specific on the words. If you were a car, what car best represents your personality? Mm. You know, as we start to learn about who people are, we get into questions like, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? You know, so some people are like, I want to be a baobab out in the middle of a field, no vegetation on me. So we know that person's a loner. Right. If you say, I'm, I'm going to be a redwood and my leaves will fall down and feed and nourish the plants below, that person's a team player and wants to lead. And, you know, so all those answers are just fascinating. Really fascinating. I feel like I need to eavesdrop and be a fly on the wall for that one. <laughs> and then, of course, what would my answer be? And then I have to think about that. And then we have the core value question, which, and anyone listening, this is one of the best ways to determine core values. You can say to people, what are your core values? And they will come up with stuff. My favorite, favorite question that we've developed over the years is, what really irritates you about people? Oh, oh my gosh. That must be one of the most interesting you ones. Know, and then people can rattle off so quickly. I don't like people who are late. I don't like people who are disrespectful. I don't like people who are unkind. What are they really telling you? What their core values are? Okay, so the question again is, what really irritates you about other people? About is other that people, right? absolutely. Oh my gosh, I want to add that to ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with pleasure. Well, and there's something interesting, and I learned this through one of the profiles, and this was actually through DISC training, and it was your preferences are what you want to do, but what your real profile, like who you authentically are, has much more to do with what you don't like. You may like a whole bunch of foods, but you really don't like anchovies and lima beans. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Those are two things on my list in case you're wondering. You know, we feel much more strongly about that, you know, where we have a lot of things that we might like or really like or love even, but there's a few things that we can't stand, and that's a brilliant way to get at what core values are. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. Okay, that's one of my major takeaways so far. Fantastic. So it really irritates you about other people. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to ask everyone I know about that. <laughs> and then we, our favorite, one of our favorite questions in that process too, can you teach common sense? Oh, and what's people's answers to that? Well, the, my answer to that is you cannot teach common sense. Either you have no. it or you don't have it. But right. it's fascinating to hear people's answers to it. I can like, no, I think you can. I mean, the minute people answer that, they probably don't have common sense themselves. <laughs> that disqualifies them, I would imagine. Very much so in our office. Right. Okay. I love that. 
Okay, fantastic. So the first interview is a group interview, so four to six candidates with two of your own team members, all about core values. And again, you ask 21 or probably up to 21 questions. Correct. And then two of the key ones are what really irritates you about other people, brilliant way of getting at core values, and can you teach common sense? And depending on how people answer, like if you're a tree, what would you be? If you're a car, you really get a clear sense of who they are as humans. And then is it pretty easy from that point to winnow out who are obviously the wrong fit people who will never succeed in your team? Correct. Well, the reason why we do the group, because we say, we don't care what you can do job-wise. Skills and talents and what have you, well, we can, I can't say talents, but definitely skills we can train. Mm -hmm. We cannot train you to have core values. Right. You fit in or you don't fit in. And that interview is a fit-in interview. Mm. And then I'd rather have someone have our core values and be able to train and groom them in the role. But if they are extremely skilled and talented, but don't have your core values, I don't think you can ever get them to be the same as you. Yep, I totally agree. Awesome. You know? So after that point, and how many people make it through? Is it one to two that make it out of the six? Yeah, one to two will make it through to, then we go to a one-on-one interview. Okay. All right, so tell me about that one. I'm already turning the page. And of course, they brought back, they typically brought back within two or three days after the group interview. Okay. They come into a one-on-one, and then the one-on-one we get down to, What's the role? What were the three projects we want them to do? If they say to us, well, you know, I think I can do those three projects, we don't hire them. I want people that have done those projects. I'd rather pay a little bit more for people and get people who have actually done the projects, Shannon, than get people that come on board saying, I hope I can do it. Well, I think I could do that. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Colin, because that was the other thing as you went through you know, your preparation for hiring someone is identifying the three projects that you really want them to do. And again, I think that is so insightful. Most of the people I talk to are just because they need someone for a role, right? And so they're hiring for the role, and yet they're not clear on the results. And I think, goodness, it was probably 1997, I wrote what I called a results-oriented job description. So not just the activities. So for example... Director of First Impressions, a.k.a. Receptionist, answer the phone. Well, most people can answer the phone, but can they not drop the call? Do they smile when they answer? And can they put it through the right person within two rings? Yep. You know, or within 20 seconds. So that's the quality standard. And so actually being super clear on the result that you're looking for, and in your case, you identify the projects, it makes so much more sense. I've always been so aware of people getting disappointed with the people that they've hired because they were not clear on the standards. They weren't clear on the projects that they wanted people to actually accomplish. And everyone feels disappointed. The team member comes in and feels like they weren't actually told what the real deal was. And the person hiring feels disappointed because the person isn't delivering what they expected, but those expectations were never made clear. So I love the fact that you're so clear on those three projects. And I think your point of being willing to hire more to pay someone who's already done it makes complete sense. Now, you also need to make sure they've done it well, I would imagine. Some people do things poorly. So how do you suss out people's success or how they've done certain projects? Yeah, so what we do then, so at the group, then we go to the first one-on-one. We we get into all the details. It takes us about an hour interviewing the one-on-one. At the end of the one-on-one, we give them a a one-page project to do. Oh. And we say to them, for the role that you've applied for, what would you do in that role in the first 12 months of being in the company And how would you do it? And how would you absolutely excel in that role with your experience, expertise, your talents, your skills, what have you? And I want that in 48 hours on my desk via email. Wow. And this is one pager. I don't want two pages. I don't want three pages. I want a one pager. And if they send me three pages, I disqualify them immediately. So it's also how much do they listen and pay attention to instructions? Correct. Yes. Correct. 
So we get those projects in. That sometimes, not often, but sometimes people will drop out and go, I'm not doing a project. I'm like, that's your choice. I mean, some of the stuff we get back, Shannon, is absolutely incredible stuff we didn't even think about. <laughs> and that doing that role would make that role exceptional in the office. Mm-hmm. And from those projects, we then invite them back to a second one-on-one interview. Okay, so second one-on-one. And in the first one-on-one, is that with the person who will be their direct supervisor or is it a hiring person? No, with the person directly their supervisor. Okay, direct Absolutely. supervisor. Absolutely. Okay, great. Of course, and every one of these interviews, everyone just so know two people in every interview from our office. Oh, okay. So the one-on-one is actually two-on-one. Is that right? Correct. Got Correct. It. But let's say something happened in the interview. All of a sudden, you're in challenge. So for me, there's two things I do in all interviews. Number one, make sure I have two people in every interview. And number two, never write on their resume. Oh, tell me why you don't do that. Because I do actually. Because at the end of it, if you write on their resume, at the end of the interview, even if you printed the resume in your office, they can say, please can I have my resume back. It belongs to me. And if you've written any notes that are maybe a sort of a qualification, disqualification process that could be considered weird in any ways, prejudice or something like that, and they take a resume, you could be in serious trouble. Really? I never knew that. Yeah, so always write on a separate piece of paper because people can ask for their resumes back at the end of the interview. doesn't matter if they brought it with them or if you printed it. Interesting. It's their property. All right. So here's how to protect yourself as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So one of the people of the two from your team is their direct supervisor, and then there's another colleague in there. So in the second one-on-one or two-on-one, what's the main focus of that one? So someone has to pass the tests of making sure they're, you know, are in line with the core values. You also, I imagine even before that, would have had to make sure that they had the right disk profile and everything else for the role. So that all happens in advance. We'll go into that a little bit more in a moment. The second one is the projects. And based on the people who sent you back really solid one-page project summaries of what they would do and how they would be excellent in the role. Now, what do you do in the last, well, I think it's the last interview. What do you do in the third interview? So the third interview, we really get down to what the job offer is going to be, the job description take the project, go through the project, give them feedback on the project, then get down to discussion of salaries and what's going to happen. And then only then after that, do we run profiles on them? Do we run a disc profile, a sacred gift profile and do a destiny profile? Oh, okay. And for those people that don't know what destiny profile is, it's just a Feng Shui profile. Got it. Okay, cool. So this is interesting. So only after they make it through this point, do you actually do the profiles? Now, would you ever disqualify someone after the third interview and after the profiles? Do people not make it through at that point as well? Absolutely. We get to that place and we say, okay, well, from their disc profile, maybe they didn't match the profile we're looking for. Some people Mm -hmm. say, why don't you just do it up front and disqualify them immediately? You know, we look at all the different things. I mean, the sacred gifts, sometimes their disc profile doesn't match absolutely perfectly. I mean, we're dealing with human beings here, so it might not match perfectly. The sacred gifts might match perfectly and the the feng shui might, the destiny profile might be awesome. So we take all three of them into consideration and say, okay, are we plus, plus, plus on all three of the profiles? And Mm -hmm. if we are, then great. Then we'll put together a proposal with a full office and send it through to them at the end of the second, you know, one-on-one or one-on-two interview. Got it. Okay, good. And let's talk about the sacred gifts profile because you've mentioned it a couple of times. And when you were talking to me about it in our earlier conversation, to me, it's a little bit like unique ability. It's what their talents, what their passions are. But you describe what sacred gifts are and and we'll see if it matches what I'm thinking about. Yeah, I think it would be in some ways very similar. There's 24 sacred gifts out there. Mm. There's four lifestyle gifts and then there's 20 non-lifestyle gifts. And a sacred gift is comes from your beingness of being a human being. So 
when you live in your sacred gift, the person that it lands on is benefiting and you feel on purpose, mm, Okay, which is really cool. So I'll give you an example of this. I mean, I can even say this to your listeners is how many of you'd like to start a BNB? There'd be people that go, I would never want to start a BNB. I have no interest in starting a BNB. And the people are like, I can't wait to start a BNB. I'd love to serve people. They have the gift of hospitality mm. or the gift of including people all the time. They're the people that will go to a networking event. There'll be someone sitting on the side and they'll walk up to them, and include them and bring them in. So there's gift of hospitality. There's gift of planning. Like sadly, for many people listening, they have the gift of vision as an mm. entrepreneur, but they don't have the gift of planning. So they can mm-hmm. take this ball out of the park and they're like, I just don't know how to hit the ball out of the, I know how to hit the ball, but anything in between my bat and the edge of the park, I have no idea how to get it there. It is so true. I'm laughing because I work closely with Nicole Pitcher and she has the gift of planning. There's no question. I'm also laughing because hospitality, if I liken that to StrengthsFinder, Includer is number 34 out of 34 on my StrengthsFinder. Wow. So that would not be one of my gifts. So. Yeah, so it's so crazy. It's a, the sacred gifts. I think it's very similar in terms of unique ability. The way I like it is you learn what makes you tick and what ticks you off. You know, so <laughs> for me, it's there's certain things I know. I don't, there's certain sacred gifts I don't have. Right. Uh, at one stage, I thought I did have them or I wanted to have them, but I realized I don't have some of those sacred gifts. And I'm okay with it. And once you learn what it, or not, you said those are the people you hire around you on your team that have those gifts to support you. And so for most of the entrepreneurs listening, if you have the gift of vision, but you don't have the gift of planning, guess what you need to hire? Someone with the gift of planning to support you. Perfect. Now, I know I'm going to get questions. How can I do this sacred gifts profile? Is it available online? How would people get in touch with that if they're interested? Yeah, if you jump online and you go to, I think it's sacredgifts.ca or sacredgifts.com. Okay. There's a lady by the name of Monique McDonald. She runs the profiles for us. It's absolutely incredible. It's a great profile. And she does like a one-hour interview with each of our candidates to really understand. They do a test, but then they also do an interview wow. where she goes through different questions. And it's fascinating. The, the, what she comes out with at the end is very, very interesting around who people are and what have you. So it's, for me, it's the sacred gifts are a really important part of our hiring process. Mm-hmm, I can tell. One of the things that impresses me so much is the massive investment that you make in several different ways. One is in your preparation planning, you know, being really, really clear about exactly what it is that you want and are looking for and the right disc profiles and sacred gifts you're looking for. Then you also do a lot of investment in the individuals themselves, whether or not they're going to end up working with you. I mean, no wonder people end up being your friends, Absolutely. even if they don't end up being the right fit, because you have increased their self-awareness. You've really increased their ability to see, even if they're not right fit for your organization, you know, if it's not make your mark, then what direction should they go in? And very few hiring processes, in my experience, are that contributing to the candidates. It's actually probably a real learning experience if someone's got the right mindset and a gift to be able to go through that hiring process, whether or not they end up with you or not. Correct. Absolutely. Like I say, yeah. some, after the, the group interview, some of them are still friends. They said, like, we became friends from your group interview process <laughs> because we might have hired one, not the other. You know, and they're like, I'm still friends with the one lady from the group interview. You know, because the group interview questions can be really interesting, the answers as well. You know, we don't do all, like you say, if we have 21 questions. We don't always necessarily go through all 21 of them. So, mm-hmm. All right. So anything else in terms of the process? So if I'm clear on the first interview of the group and then the, the other two ones, which you always make sure there's two people from your organization and the candidate. And let's say someone makes it through. What is the time frame for that process roughly? We always, I say from a, a junior staff point of view, 
probably around two to four weeks. Okay. For someone senior, like a C-suite, COO, CFO, that kind of thing, up to three to four months. Mm. Do you ever lose candidates because it takes a longer time period than some other companies? Absolutely. And you know what? I'm actually at peace with it. Okay. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Right. All right. Good. What percentage of people actually make it? Because it's quite a funnel you have. Mm -hmm. You know, we have funnels for marketing, but we also have funnels for hiring. So how many people, if you're going to start with, well, I don't know, you give me a number. So what percentage do you think actually make it through? I'd say probably overall around 10 to 15%. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. And the 10 to 15% you do end up with, do they stay? What's your retention rate? And what's their success level once you do hire them? You know, a retention rate is really, really good. You know, the challenging part is, you know, it depends. If you ask me what was my biggest learning in hiring in the last 12 months. Is, good. That's a great question. You know, Good to Great is one of my favorite books by Jim Collins. And we parachuted a couple of COOs into Make Your Mark. Mm -hmm. And I stepped up into that visionary role. And they brought their own culture with them. And it really, really made a huge impact on our team. And eventually it drove our team apart, which I'm, I'm happy to share. I mean, I'm a very much a, an open book. So we ended up having two camps. It was virtually the CEO with some of the team, the older team. People have been with me the longest. And then the COO with the newer team. And eventually it created a huge divide, a huge rift in the company because there were virtually two different cultures running. Eventually what we had to happen, Shannon, we had to make a decision. You know, there's only two options. I leave or the COO leave. I'm not going anywhere. This is my baby and what have you. So we had to make that decision. And at the same time, when you make that decision, anyone that's in the camp with that person and their culture, you pretty much have to let them go too. First of all, I completely empathize because we have been in that ex same exact situation. It's one of the dangers, actually. Let's chat about this for a moment. It's one of the dangers, I think, for an entrepreneurial organization bringing in senior level people. And I'm also a little, I'm always cautious about C-suite titles because it attracts people with a bit of a, a status orientation. Mm -hmm. It was one of the possible dangers. I'm not saying it's always true, but you're totally right. They bring in their own culture and they're really intelligent. They're very savvy. They interview incredibly well mm -hmm. and they're often quite talented at what they do. Very much so. so all the check marks are there, but then they get there and then they start building their own company within your other company. And I wrote about this in Multiplication by Subtraction because it's actually what inspired me to write the book. I got so frustrated of coming in to work with one of my favorite clients and then I met his senior person and I could tell in our very first meeting, he was only paying lip service to everything we were talking about. Yeah, He had his own agenda, he had his own thing, and I gave my client the heads up and two and a half years later, he goes, Shannon, I wish I'd listened to you sooner. And I was like, really? <laughs> so I kind of wrote the book to help give people a clue that here are some of the warning signs. I mean, it's not the only one. You know, people are wrong fit for roles for other reasons, but a mismatch of values is so costly, especially at a senior level. And as you said, then you have to let go everyone that they brought on board because they brought on board people with their mindset, not necessarily yours. Very much. So. And I think, too, they bring on people that – you know, I'm not always a big fan of you have to like the people you know, that, you, that mm -hmm. work with you because you don't have to hang out yep. after hours. But I think they bring people on board that fall in love with them. And we had this happen in the last 12 to 18 months where we had two COOs come on board and people fell in love with them, absolutely fell in love with them, but they weren't getting results. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's a challenge. So, and then you're like, dude, you bring the CEO aside and you say, hey, there's no results. And then you have to let the COO go. 
And of course, what happens? All the people that fell in love with that COO are like, oh my God, that person's gone. It's like mother hens left the nest kind of thing. Yeah, and then eventually we lost a bunch of people over it. In fact, what we should have done is just said, anyone in that camp, just take your stuff and move on because we'll never get you on board. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things, you know, and I don't like to say this in a negative way. Sometimes when you have a cancer, you cannot have any residual cancer left in your office. Mm-hmm. You've got to take it. You've got to do the, the surgery, get rid of all the cancer and then rebuild and heal. And that healing takes time. And once you heal, it's fantastic. Uh-huh. I loved every single person that's ever worked for us. The challenging part is sometimes, you know, when people are on a different camp, it's one of those hard things. And I've watched it over 12 to 18 months. It's been a very interesting journey. I think it's still one of the most fascinating things of stepping up into the role of visionary and having somebody else come on board in your company between you and your team. I don't think uh-huh. it can easily be done unless that person's fully groomed in the culture of the company. Right. So where are you, just for fun, where are you now in that process? And by the way, one of my favorite expressions is sometimes you have to kiss a lot of frogs <laughs> before yeah. you find your prince or princess. And now, are you trying out a third one? Are you grooming someone from internally in the company? Are you still looking outside? Where are you in your own process for that? Because I'm sure you are not alone. I hear this more than I don't hear it. <laughs> you know, anyone who can resonate with a call will completely appreciate this. So where are you now in, in your third Hopefully, third attempt if you haven't given up. You know up. what? I'm not going to even attempt it for a third time right now. I yeah. decided well, I'm going to duplicate other roles instead. Right. And say, well, you know, let me have a, a senior team that can all still report to me, but yet duplicate that. So the reason why I brought a CIO on board was so I didn't have to travel as much. Mm-hmm. My traveling has gone down as I brought other people on in, in other roles anyways. So I'm like, do I really need that role? And that's become the big question for me. Even as we grow to the next level, I might just keep myself in the role I'm in and just keep on duplicating the senior roles without having to have one key person in between. So right now, I have a little bit of ex-spouse syndrome. So <laughs> You don't really want another one right now. Yeah, exactly right now. So I'm just doing my stock take on where things are at and what have you, Shannon, and deciding you know, what's the right thing to do. And then just writing down what worked, what didn't work. I'm sincerely grateful for what I've learned. No discussion. Yeah. It's part of my own journey. But at the same time, it's like, okay, just take a little bit of time to think this through for the, should we go down that path for a third time? And of course, the team in the office, once they've been through a couple, the trust in yourself sometimes disappears. Uh-huh. You know, Because they're like, oh, now a third person's coming in. Is this going to work for the third time? So for me right now, it's just building trust and stability and strength back with our team. And so this is what I call the healing process. After you've eliminated and done the surgery and you've got every all the cancer out, then you have to heal. And once you heal, it's fantastic. You know, then you get back on track, your hair grows back and all that kind of stuff and off you go. You know what I mean? Yes, you're stronger for the experience. Well, I appreciate that. And it's good you're not in the dating process again yet. So that's all good. And I think getting rid of the toxicity is so critical because it will linger and you really do have to handle it once and for all. Well, I want to share with you an idea that I was sharing this with a client the other day, and it might be helpful for you too, because that's a common thing, you know, move up to the visionary role, have someone, EOS would call this an, an implementer. Integrator. Integrator role, thank you. But finding the person in between you and the team, especially if the team's used to connecting with you, is a challenge. So I want to bounce an idea off you that I got from, and this comes from the book Tribal Leadership by, well, there's a couple of different authors, but Dave Logan is the primary one. And I have an author interview with him if anyone's interested on the Team Success podcast. But one of the things he talked about is that a lot of companies, 48% of particularly North America, education, healthcare, and business, has the I'm great, you're not mentality. 
And this goes back to those leaders who come in with their own mindset. They build their own little kingdoms and their own mindsets. And only 25% of the people actually have that we're great mentality. And I got so excited when I read the book because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is another way to talk about unique ability, unique ability teamwork. This is great. And the difference between he calls it a third stage versus fourth stage of tribal leadership is that if it's stage three, it's I'm going to connect with you like A to B, and then I'm going to connect to another person. So that's C. Okay. But I don't want B and C talking to each other. I want to control. It's a one-to-one relationship. And what he talks about is the difference between a stage three and stage four is actually what he calls a triad. So stage three is a dyad, stage four is a triad. And that's where you work in groups of three. So I started expanding my teamwork based on that. So I work closely with Nicole. I work closely with Kathy. And when the three of us started to work together more often, all of a sudden our productivity just went to a whole brand new level. Mm -hmm. It was kind of amazing. And I've translated that into a leadership So what I found is a lot of entrepreneurs, if they've got tons of ideas and they want to be freed up a bit from the execution, if they actually have a little team of three at the top, I actually think it can solve some of the problems that finding a one-person integrator is really a challenge a lot of times, especially ones that share the right values. And if you know about things like DISC and about Colby and other profiles, you can really construct an implementation team that frees you up that allows you to have that planning capability that can be your special projects team and then can also connect with the rest of the team and kind of make that work. So just wanted to kind of throw that at you because it's been, I think sometimes one person is not the answer and it might be two people that actually make it up and make it work and free you up if that's a possibility. So Yeah, and also I think one of our biggest challenges we had is we got people from like a COO, a CFO from the corporate world Yes. And we were entrepreneurial. And I was like, oh my God, they want to make us corporate. And I'm like, this body ain't corporate in any way or form. <laughs> Hence why it's entrepreneurial. You know, so that was, I think, one of our biggest challenges was getting too many corporate people at the top. So they're so used to the entrepreneurial personality. And all of a sudden the team's like, oh my God, what's this, all this corporate stuff and everything's so anal and what have you. And I'm like, it's just not who we are. So it's been super good learning. I mean, for me, I'm eternally grateful because it just makes our processes and systems even stronger. Yes. And I think that you've hit the nail on the head because that it's the different mentality. Corporate is command and control. It's do what I say. You know, let me run my own thing. And it's not entrepreneurial. It's not collaborative in, in some very core essential ways. And it also sometimes isn't innovative. What I love about entrepreneurial companies is they're not we all need a certain degree of structure, but there's an amount of flexibility and the ability to innovate and ability to find new and different ways of doing things and to change quickly that simply people who come in from a corporate environment just don't get and they take it personally yes, and they feel like you're undercutting them. It's like, no, it's not that. It's just the best result. Let's go. So, yes, I think you really nailed the main issue there. Beautiful. Perfect. All right. Anything else about your hiring process that you think might benefit people, other people going through the hiring? First of all, I think some of the things I've distilled down are really get super clear on what you want, what you're looking for, use the profiles, whichever ones you choose. I love the ones that you've shared today. Another one is really be clear on your core values and interview for that. And again, one of my favorite questions ever (laughs) is what really irritates you about other people. Totally going to remember that one. And then to protect yourself, always make sure you have two people in your interview and write on a separate piece of paper, not their resume, because they could ask for that back. And then also just to make sure that you investing in people, even in the hiring process, 
pays off in terms of the results that you get. It's not foolproof, as you've just talked about, but absolutely. you can absolutely put the odds in your favor by taking all the time and effort, as you've kind of demonstrated, to make sure you're actually putting right fit team members on your team. Yeah, very much. And the only thing I would add to that would be, you know, I'm a big fan of having a female as a second person with me mm. in the interview. Females are often way more intuitive than men. I'm not going to be completely sexist on that one, but it often is that way. And, you know, our females in the office are batting 10 out of 10 against me because when our gut says no, uh-huh. the answer should be no. And then to listeners, please listen to your gut. Even if you go from the group interview to the first one-on-one to the second one-on-one, at the end, your gut says no, listen to your gut. Uh. Your gut is the truth center. Our brains get involved and screw the whole thing up. So let's give the person a chance, whatever. Your gut says no, don't move ahead. I mean, I'm a big fan of, you know, Gino Wickman's book, of course, on the EOS and what have you. And the key thing for me there is when you've got a cancer, do the surgery quickly. Otherwise, your body will become toxic. Uh-huh. You know, and sometimes it's too late and you can lose everything. You, know, you can lose your entire staff. So for me, for anyone listening, really think about, listen to your gut, number one, and in the process, and number two, if you have a toxic person, they will cause your really good people to leave as well. Even though they might be exceptional at their job, don't keep them. You make a plan and move them on. And then people always go, I will get them to have our core values. You won't. You cannot coach core values. It's who you are as a human being. I could not say it better. Core values are, well, they're often they're, I call them factory installed, but they're created far earlier in life than when we hit people. And it's how they come into the world. It's how they're raised. It's how they're trained. It's what they accept and what they don't accept. And we want to attract people with matching values to try and train someone or coach someone on yours just does not work. Absolutely. So disavow yourself of that notion and simply trust that there are in fact people who share your values and you're looking, you want to put out a signal where they go, hey, these are our core values. If these are also yours, we might have a place for you here. That makes way more sense than trying to convert someone. And like you, I was inspired to write Multiplication by Subtraction by the book Necessary Endings, which talks about pruning and making sure that you cut off the deadwood and that you really take care of those issues so that you can, in fact, grow. Absolutely. The plant analogy, because companies are organic, I think makes a lot of sense. So that's another great reference book if you want to check that out. Well, Colin, I have learned a lot, again, even though this is the second time you and I have talked about this. So I just want to say thank you. I appreciate all the takeaways. I appreciate you sharing your stories, even the painful ones. I know you've got a great team around you, and there's no way you could experience the crazy success you're having unless you had people around you. And I love that you're getting freed up from the travel, because I can totally understand that. And again, I just really appreciate you sharing your experience and your wisdom with everyone, because this will be some gems and some takeaways for folks about their own hiring process and how they can have a right fit team like you do. So thank you very much. Beautiful. Thank you, Shannon. It's been my absolute pleasure. And to the audience out there, you know, take action on this because I can tell you one thing. You know, remember, if you, t- if you don't want employees, I think you're crazy. The most important thing, employees for your team are leverage and it can help you get to that next level and sit on the beach and drink cocktails and do whatever you want to do and travel the world. And your team are absolutely valuable. And I'd love to leave off with a final statement is when you're hiring people, the energy you put around them is how they will show up. If you hire someone and you say, this person's an 8 out of 10, they'll only ever be an 8 out of 10 mm. or less. They'll never be a 10 out of 10. So the energy we put around people, only hire 10 out of 10 people or do not hire them. Oh, I love that. Great. Well, thank you so much, Colin. I really enjoyed our conversation. And let me ask you a final question. If people want to learn more about Make Your Mark, how can they check you out? Where can they find you online? Or I'm not that I'm 
saying you want a million phone calls because you probably don't. But if someone (laughs) wants to learn more about your company, how can they do that? The best way to do it, there's a couple of ways. Of course, our website is mymsuccess.com. So make your mark, mymsuccess.com. Or you can just jump online and on Stitcher or iTunes. I have a podcast as well called MYM Your Business, The Brutal Truth with Colin Sprake. A great podcast, lots of great guests and sales training, marketing, a whole bunch of different things that can really, really help you as a business owner. So that's the easiest way to get hold of me. Perfect. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Colin. Again, appreciate your wisdom. And I can't wait to put in some of what you've talked about into our own process. So I'll be using that with my own hiring. So thanks for educating me too. You're so welcome, Shannon. And big hugs to you and the team on that side. All right. Thank you so much. So I hope you've really enjoyed this conversation between Colin and me and that you've really gotten inspired about some of the ways that you can refine your hiring process and take it to the next level. Because as Colin mentioned, having a right fit team is everything if you want to be leveraged and be able to move into your sacred gifts and your unique ability. So by all means, please check out Colin's website at mymsuccess.com. And if you have any questions or comments, please let us know at questions at strategiccoach.com. As always, here's to your team's success. Hi, Shannon here, and thank you very much for listening. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment to rate the Team Success Podcast on iTunes. And we'd love it if you'd share the podcast with anyone else who could benefit. If you're interested in learning more about the Strategic Coach program for entrepreneurs, visit us at strategiccoach.com or the Strategic Coach channel on YouTube. For free downloads and more team success strategies, visit teamsuccesshandbook.com. Mm-hmm.